0: Hey, hey! It's your girl KV and Celine, and today we have a guest. We are joined by Williams D. Brack. So we'll let him get into a little bit more about himself in a minute, but we're gonna start with a little bit of this or that. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna ask you a question. You're gonna answer first, and then we'll follow up and just you know kind of give our answer on it as well. Okay. The first one. PWI or HBCU? HBCU. All right, give us give us a little more. What school did you go I mean, to? I'm a
1: Morehouse graduate. Mm-hmm. I also spent some time at Jackson State. A lot of my friends, uh, FAMU, um, Prairie View, Lane College. And so I just think, um, and let's not forget Lamont on here. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just know a lot of good people that have gone to HBCUs.
0: OK, same, same. I went to Spelman, so I am team HBCU all day. PWI. I went to the
2: <laughs> University of Memphis, and I got my master's from the University of Memphis as well. But I love HBCU so.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: If I get my If I get my uh, doctorate, I'll probably
0: end up at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Tea. What type of tea do you like?
1: I like. Uh, there's a place here called My Cup of Tea, and they have this um, this yoga tea. It's cinnamon, some spices, and it's really, really good. And then they have this uh, flavor-infused honey. Mm, I love
0: a good flavor-infused honey. And
1: so a good strong tea does the trick for me.
0: Okay, also, I am a tea drinker. Every now and again, I'll add a little coffee to my protein shakes if I just need a little boost, but it's very rare that I'll just like have a cup of coffee, especially not hot coffee if it's gonna be Coffee, I'm gonna have an iced coffee. Mm-hmm.
2: I am both. I do tea both and yeah, and coffee, but I drink more tea than coffee. So if we had to just pick one, I would do tea. Yeah. Gotta try that place that you just talked
0: about. I gotta write that down. Yeah I, gotta, yeah, I gotta go. My cup of tea. Remember that. Remember that. So next, Memphis or ATL?
1: Oh, Memphis for sure.
0: Memphis, what's up?
1: Well. I just feel like in Memphis, everything's accessible. Everybody's accessible. Okay. Um, There's a lot to do here. When you appreciate Memphis for for Memphis, tremendous amount of stuff to do here. Okay. And a lot of the things that I've accomplished in in finance and business and family-wise, I would have done in ATL, but I've done it a lot faster here in Memphis. Mm -hmm.
0: I am pretty split down the middle. Cause I was I've lived in each pretty much an equal amount of years at this point so I'm right down the middle I've got yeah. family in each I went to school undergrad in Atlanta grad school here in Memphis so yeah I'm split right down the middle on that one
1: that ain't this or that that's both of uh... well,
0: that's this yeah. yeah
2: basically yep yeah. and then for me it's definitely Memphis yeah um, yeah, I love the city. I do. I do feel like it has a lot of potential. Like he said, it's a lot of like opportunities. It's just hard to come by. But I feel like it's a building. It's a growing environment. I feel like Atlanta is a lot more already developed. So like coming in, if you are, if you know people, it's better for you. But if you're not, then it's probably a little bit harder for you to like get into the scene. I do have friends and family that stay in Atlanta though. So going back and forth, it. I still would pick Memphis.
0: Yeah. <laughs> This one's for you in particular. Stocks or investment properties?
1: Investment properties.
0: Investment properties. Tell us why.
1: Income is the name of the game.
0: Okay.
1: Um, stocks are good, but most people control investment properties, right? And so when you're investing in stocks, you have all these huge companies, and you're 0000001 percent mm-hmm. of the ownership. But investment properties kicking out income month after month and after month. And over the long term, the goal of an investment portfolio or stocks is to produce income anyway. Well, investment are already doing that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. OK, OK. So tell us a little about yourself, whatever didn't get answered in the this or that. Where are you from? What are your degrees in? What do you do?
1: Sure, so I'm originally from Greenwood, Mississippi. Uh, went to middle school in Chicago, high school in Memphis, um, a proud Carver Cobra. We're only like two miles away from my, my high school. Don't, don't you laugh at my high school. Uh,
3: <laughs> proud,
1: proud Carver High graduate. Um, I did a couple of years at Jackson State where I was majoring in international business at the time. And I played football there. And so Deion Sanders made Jackson State kind of worldwide popular. Well, he won the SWAC championship. I was on that team playing quarterback okay. for the team that won championship, uh, the SWAC championship before Dion won it next. And then I transferred to Morehouse, majored in finance, uh, went off in my career to do financial planning with Northwestern Mutual in Atlanta. So I had my investment licenses, such as my Series 7 and 66, sold a bunch of insurance, whole life term, et cetera. Then I moved back to Memphis. My entire family is here from my my mother, my grandparents, cousins, everything, everybody's here. Um, And from there, I switched from investment and wealth management planning into banking. So I did commercial banking at a high level. We were doing loans as small as five million up to about um, 40, 50 million. And we were working with companies as small as about 15 million in revenue up to a billion. And so I did that work for a while, switched to um, the accounting and tax space, where I work with companies as large as about four billion at this point. And I also do um, coaching and seminars on the side called building bankable businesses. So, I wrote a book this year called uh, The Small Business Guide to Capital Readiness. And I started teaching entrepreneurs how to access capital. Because um, if you want to grow a business, the primary way most companies do it is using other people's money. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I just wanted to give a guide and a blueprint uh, for entrepreneurs to be able to do that more effectively. Okay. <clears throat>
0: Good stuff. <laughs> so. Um, Last season we did an episode about the Silicon Valley bank collapse and all of that, so we just wanted to kind of get your opinion on some of that because sure. we, that is not our expertise. Yes. We are public health girls and just have somebody that kind of knows their world a little bit more. So, are you worried about that recent bank crash and like how does that make, like how does it make you feel as far as the current banking market?
1: Sure. I mean, I'm confident in the uh, current banking uh, market, Kavendra, if you've been to one bank, you've been to one bank. Mm -hmm. Um, Every single bank is made up differently. And in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, they had uh, most of their deposits with venture capitalist firms and a a lot of big money people supporting that bank. And once once a few pull out, then the bank is dead because the banks operate on the depositors that they have in there Mm -hmm. so whereas a silicon valley bank might have been made up of professional investors and venture capitalist people um, a bank like uh, regions let's say is built from individual households spread across a wide region if everybody in this room pulled their money out of regions it wouldn't affect the bank um, as much as those professionals investors with billions of dollars Mm -hmm. pulling their money out of silicon valley bank So the makeup of people that have money deposited in your bank um, determines sort of the risk of said bank. And so because Silicon Valley is different from regions, it's different from First Horizon, it's different from other banks, I look at it as sort of an isolated event. But what it did do was create a a crisis of confidence in the consumer who don't understand that sort of matrix. Mm -hmm. But what that means, most consumers just transition theirs to what they what we perceive to be bigger, safer, stronger banks. Mm-hmm. And so that may carry some risk with a couple of smaller banks, but overall I'm extremely confident because the one thing in this country that cannot be allowed to fail are banks.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay, great perspective.
2: All right. So next question. What is the best advice for small business owners when it comes to banks lending funds?
1: Sure. Celine. thank you for that question. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, I think the best advice for business is make money. Mm -hmm. right? So you you think that to be a no-brainer, but you need to understand your numbers. Hire a really good accountant. Hire a really good attorney. And because the best thing you can tell any banker is um, call my accountant Mm -hmm. because they will know the numbers. And it's a cheat code that once you have a really good accountant, they'll teach you what the numbers actually mean. And so that prevents you from having to go to school to major in accounting because you've hired somebody to be able to do that. The second one is, um, again, if you've been to one bank, you've been to one bank. If one gives you a long, crazy process and decline you, you can just go to another bank. It's not like dealing with personal credit. All banks have different makeups. They have different risk tolerance. And so when you go to a bank, one might tell you no, but it's completely okay for another one to tell you yes. And the third thing is that it's not just banks that have the ability to lend you money to grow your business. Sometimes you might have to start at a small loan fund like uh, River City Capital, which is a a community development financial institution, and they're made up to provide loans to newer entrepreneurs, smaller entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs banks may say no to. And then you have uh, business development companies who can be much larger, sometimes the same size as a smaller bank without all the regulations and handcuffs that bank may put on you. And so I think you need to do more research and explore options around lending, not just at banks, because a JP Morgan might be different from a First Horizon, might be different from a um, River City Capital or um, a Tri-State Bank here in Memphis. So. The size of the banks matters from community to regional to money center. And so you should explore all your different options and not just one.
2: Sophia, will first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just regional bank, um, money center, big bank, uh, a really local bank, and then explore non-banks. All of these exist in most cities.
0: Yeah, I've done a little bit of research on River City Capital because I saw that they uh, think they funded money for mugging the coffee house. So I've kind of been looking at them and like how their process works and everything as far as, you know, getting that money for your businesses. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, shout,
1: shout out to Ron Brooks, president over at okay. River City Capital. And they're doing great work in the community. Um, I think we talked yesterday and he said that about 80 almost 90 percent of his fundings are to female entrepreneurs because okay, nice. women is, women are starting businesses mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. Um, fantastic rates right so uh, i guess the future is is, is female yeah. when it comes to business startup.
0: <laughs> when it comes to everything right <laughs> the next question you can do it. okay uh-huh
2: Oh that makes sense because you're talking this way. Right.
1: Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Oh,
3: okay. Everybody put
0: your hands up. Please move on. Everybody put your hands up. Put them up like yes. Show them up like yes. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's up party in the USA? Yeah, I found out her real name is not even Miley. That bitch's name is Hope. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been playing. was like, what? I had to go look it up. I was like, oh. may I not lie, her so name what, is
2: Hope. So, Billy, is his name really Billy? Right, I should have
0: looked that up, too. I was floored. I was like, her name ain't Miley? Oh, wow. <laughs> it's the other way around. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay Next
2: question. you want me to do the general questions or can, can yeah I, okay gotcha okay so we have some general questions for you Okay. and my question is i want you to give me three financial tips that you would give somebody in their mid-20s
1: sure oh that's that's an easy one yeah so <laughs> I, well i used to be a financial planner mm-hmm. and so uh, the process is the first thing you need to do if you're working Mm -hmm. is protect your income. So buy something like disability income insurance for sure. Um, Buy as much term insurance as you can and it makes no sense right now, right? Well, it does because you're as healthy as you're ever gonna be right now. Mm -hmm. And so what you wanna do is, it's really cheap since you're young and healthy, it's really cheap Mm -hmm. and it locks in your health for the future. Mm -hmm. So if you plan on having kids in the future, It's cheap, so for instance, when I was 25, I had $2 million of insurance, Mm -hmm. and it only cost me uh, $45 a month. Well, I have done nothing but gain weight since, and that same insurance will cost me even more, but they can't increase the price because I locked it in um, 10 years ago. Uh, The second thing is uh, save at least three months um, of expenses. That's your first goal. The second goal should be six months. After that, if you're working and you have access to a retirement account like a 401k, if you're a teacher, a 403b, um, at at the very minimum, invest up to the match of your company. Mm -hmm. Um, At the maximum, max out your 401k as soon as possible and live on that income that's depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, In addition to that, invest in your HSA. Put as much money in your health spending account as possible because that can also serve secondarily as a health savings account. Once you have all that in place, um, learn about the stock market, invest in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, learn a little bit or know somebody, have somebody in your circle that understands real estate. And all the good decisions that you made from saving cash to investing in your 401k, to investing in stocks, bonds and mutual funds and even whole life insurance, you can either use to kind of ride that out and live off that long term. You can use that to invest in real estate or you can use all that to invest in the business or all of the above. Um, One of the primary issues that entrepreneurs have when they wanna go start a business at 35 and 40 is a lack of capital. Well, they spent their capital on vacations. Um, I spent mine on Gucci shoes I can't even (laughs) find anymore. Um, We spent them at nice restaurants and now you wake up at 35 and 40 asking people to invest in your business when you spent all your investment capital in your early 20s on having fun, on food, and traveling.
3: Yeah.
2: Green. yeah I know. I, I, I definitely did that. I've started on some of those things. Other things definitely need improvement. I'm not going to lie. I do not have insurance. And I think that I, I know I should. But my thought process is kind of like what you just said. Basically, I know I'm in good health. I don't really get sick, so why would I need it? I think of that as like money that I shouldn't be spending towards sure. it. But the way you just explained it, gave me a new appreciation for like you know those types of things so i really do appreciate it you no. just read me for 5000 well, like, no oh, no that, that
1: that wasn't that wasn't
3: that, that wasn't
1: to you that was to my past self yeah because what i didn't understand is that the competition is between me and future me
3: mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm.
1: every dollar i spend on the me of today i'm taking away from me of tomorrow and i need everybody we need to find that particular balance for ourselves
0: yes yes
1: studio so, studio question yeah, do you explain the, the term? Like, can you like, explain as far as, like, the term insurance? Because that's a... I was about to get into far, that. <laughs> like, sure. like, people don't know what that is if they're not in the industry. Oh, sure, I can explain that. You want to add on any, any, anything additional you want add no, to add to that question? No, I was
0: just going to ask, you know, to flesh yeah. some of that stuff out. But, yeah, you can start with term.
1: Sure, I'll start with term. So you have two different types of insurance. You have term insurance, and then you have permanent insurance. Mm-hmm. Term insurance, as it as the name is kind of uh, implied, is for a term or period of time. Uh, it could be for 10 years, it could be for 20 years, it can be for 80 years. But the term insurance kicks in. I think an underrated reason is to lock in your health while you're young and it's cheap. But it's really um, for an impact. So let's say a 20-year term, you get that because you have. Um, you have kids, so if you die, you want to be able to take care of your kids, your mortgage, your house. It, these are the most expenses you will ever have during this term of your life. Well, permanent insurance is around, as the name implies, for permanently, meaning so that's that whole life, when people whole, life say whole life, whole insurance. life, whole life insurance. There's many different kinds, but whole, whole life. That was gonna be my yeah, but but whole life is permanent, meaning that no matter what age you die, it's guaranteed to pay out. And because it's guaranteed to pay out, it costs much more than term. Mm -hmm. So $2 million of term insurance might've cost me $40, $50 when I was 25. That same amount of whole life insurance might've cost me $2,000 a month. Mm. But as a secondary benefit, it also builds up cash that you can utilize later on in the cycle. So you can use it while you're alive and it's guaranteed to pay out when you die. And so when I was a financial advisor, we used to build, uh, we used to buy stocks and equity portfolios and put money in whole life insurance so we could take more risk on the stock side. So the stock has an opportunity to grow faster and the whole life just grows, grows, grows. And depending on the kind you get, it never drops, Mm -hmm. no matter what happens in the market. And so you have one that's meant to pay out permanently, no matter what age you die, and one for a period of time based on life and family circumstances. And so both are equally good. It's just that you you want the term when you have a family and the whole life uh, it starts to be a, a bigger piece of the pu- puzzle, and the conversation around whole life is really legacy, cash investment as a as a whole piece of the puzzle.
0: Mm-hmm. And what would, what term did y'all say? So would,
3: uh, <clears throat> whole mixture, is, it, is it called whole? Is it part of the Islandville Bridge?
1: It is. Oh, it is. So it's. Whole life. What's IUL? Uh, Index, universal life. Okay. And it's invested in sort of a index fund, okay. um, sort of mixed into the, to the stock market. <laughs> um, but again, it's, it's meant to grow with the stock market. Me, you could use it. I think it's a fine product. It's just nothing I prefer because if I'm investing in life insurance, I want it to operate as life insurance. If I want to invest in index funds or stock, I'd invest in index funds or stocks. I like sort of, um, purity of things because you can't be two things at once. Stocks make great stocks. Life insurance makes great life insurance. Why would I want to put my stocks inside my life insurance? Um, they're going to talk to me about tax benefits, but I can put that in a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA. So that's just my personal preference. Not that one is uh, better or worse than the other. It's just the fact that you have something in place that will pay out no matter when you die. That's really important.
0: Okay. And another thing, um, what does it mean to max out
1: your 401K? Explain that a little bit. Go sure. to rocks a little bit more for me, yes. I, I would love that. So let, let me put out a disclaimer that I'm, I'm not a licensed uh, <laughs> professional uh, uh, financial advisor any, mm-hmm. anymore. Any, so yeah, I might be a little off on the maximums. But when I was practicing, I think the, the maximum amount you could put in a 401K was like 14500 five, 14, at the time. And so let's say... I mean, I like 100000 because that's an easy number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you make $100,000, you get taxed on $100,000. Well, if you put $15,000 into your 401k, you get to invest that. They don't tax it first. And so now your actual taxable income that the government will tax you on is 85000 now. Mm-hmm. And that fifteen you put it into a 401k it doesn't get taxed. You can invest. It grows. And when you become 59 and a half, they tax it when it comes out. Okay. And so you start to work with different tax strategies. I mean, I think as you you start to grow your wealth, the goal is to keep as much money for yourself as possible and pay as little to the government as possible or the amount you're supposed to based on maximizing the tax code and tax strategies. Okay. And all this information is accessible, right? It's It's literally, one call away. If you work, there are people that are set up in your 401k um, fund that you can call and they explain everything to you, um, how it works. And that's a resource most employers uh, provide to their employees. You just have to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I figured I was gonna do it at some point because I get those little letters where it's like, oh, here's an update yeah. on you know what's in your 401k and they have a whole breakdown of yeah. you know where it came from, how much, you know, this, this company added, this company yep. added. So I was like, this stuff might as well be a foreign language to me. Sure. So I was gonna have to call somebody at some point to kind of get a, a better breakdown on what it all
1: Yeah, was. most of the information, they have um, resources and advisors set up to not only to explain what these things are, but to specifically explain what you have. And typically it's at no cost to you.
2: Mm-hmm. You see, sometimes, I'm glad you brought that up, too. I get, like, skeptical because I am, like, very money conscious, I think, in my head. So, like, whenever you, somebody says, well, they have these resources, I'm thinking to myself, like, are they really working for me or are they working for themselves? And I think that's what you you mentioned, like, even having like a good accountant. Sometimes when I think about accountants and stuff like that, I'm like, well, how would they manage my money? Because at the end of the day, they're managing my money, but it's for their own gain because, you know, like you said, everybody at the end of the day, they're trying to get money. So. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, how would you pick a good accountant or like how do you know which resources are for your your best interests, I guess? Sure.
1: So um, people like accounting and financial advisors, they have uh, boards and and things that hold them accountable Mm -hmm. to doing the right thing, Mm -hmm. because professionals like accountants, the the government, banks, really important systems Mm -hmm. depend on accountants and organizations to be. Um, trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And so you have in the accounting space organizations like the uh, AICPA, don't ask me what that means, uh, to hold the CPAs accountable. Mm. And in order to pick a good one, you want to ask, especially if you're a business, you want to know that one, they've done, they have other customers like you, mm. right? That they understand your business. In you, your needs. In your knees. Get some references. Understand who they've worked with in the past. Mm-hmm. Trust your gut on people. Right. Um, pay attention to the energy. If you feel like something shady is going on, something shady is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no shame in saying, well, I don't feel comfortable working with you or I'm a, I'll explore my options. When you're talking about individual taxes uh, there's a tremendous amount of free resources in the community Um, you can look at the united way they have a a tax preparation program where they'll do your taxes um, for free but 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 (laughs) what but what you want is somebody um professional to do them Mm -hmm. and these professionals have a certain level of accountability that they have to have um, if your hairdresser or your aunt or your cousin with no tax experience is doing your, your taxes, you're in trouble.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there's a lot of professional people out here that will do it, and they're held accountable not only by their licenses and the boards and standards, but they're also accountable uh, by the government as well.
3: Thank you, yeah. You're
1: welcome.
0: <laughs> you can ask the
2: next <coughs> So the next one is about taking risks. Do you believe that taking risks in finance is, is rewarding? So like I was mentioning earlier, I am more conscious. So like when I think about high risk, I know that they always say high risk, high return. Or if you have low risk, low return. I would say I'm more at the low risk, low return. <laughs> but I, would, I always want to ask other people who are in finance or if it's better to be more risky with your finance.
1: Celine, that's a good question. Uh And it's uh, much more complicated to answer. Well, so when I was a financial planner and as a banker Mm -hmm. and just as an individual now, I look as risk reward in everything, Mm -hmm. right? And so the first thing you have to do is understand your personal risk tolerance, Mm -hmm. right? If you are uncomfortable taking on certain risks, then don't. Mm -hmm. But just understand that your reward won't be as great as someone who's taken on much risk. But on the flip side, that means when things go bad, it won't go as bad as the person who took risk. Mm. Right? And so you understand that risk reward is in everything. When I was a banker, that was the primary thing we tried to determine is what's the risk of this business not paying us back. Mm. And the reward is always small for a bank because they can only charge four, five, six, I think these days it's like seven, seven or so percent. So the reward is always small, so the bank doesn't, they're they're not allowed to take on as much risk as an individual investor that's not a part of the overall financial system. Mm -hmm. And so you have to understand your own risk and reward system and understand that there's a give and take in all of this. Mm -hmm. If you are uncomfortable taking on extreme risks, that means you won't get extreme rewards but that don't mean you won't grow and have opportunity. You'll just, the tortoise and the hare thing, right? You'll grow just steady when things go bad. That's not to say they won't go bad for you. It just won't go as bad Mm -hmm. as for someone who has a greater risk tolerance. So understand your risk and as you work with professionals like professional advisors, uh, financial advisors, one of the things they'll walk you through is understanding your personal risk tolerance Mm -hmm. and then they'll help you create investments that match the risk that you're comfortable taking. Anybody who tries to push you to take on more risk is bad for you.
2: Mm. So, what about you? Where's your risk tolerance level?
1: Sure. So, um, I'm moderately, I take a moderate amount of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if I'm thinking about stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and things of that nature, I hold about 10% of my for- portfolio to be a part of the riskiest stuff as you can imagine
3: mm.
1: because it only takes a tiny bit of money to hit a home run. So 90% of mine is sort of um, conventionally risky or moderate. It's, it's gonna go up reasonably. When things go bad, it won't be the worst. Mm-hmm. But then I got a piece of it that when it goes bad, it goes to zero.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but if it hits, it turns $1 into $10,000. Gotcha. Right? And so I carve out risk in that way. Uh, then personally, outside of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, I'm, I take risks Because I grew up poor um, and in order to get to the type of wealth that I aspire to, you do have to take risks. Mm -hmm. So I've invested in people, I've invested in real estate, I've invested in businesses, and at the moment none have worked out. Mm -hmm. But I understand that when I invest in risky ventures and people and opportunities that they won't always work out. Mm -hmm. And I'm comfortable with that.
2: Yeah, so you don't even feel like it's one of those things where it would stop you from investing in the future because you just... You're okay with
1: it because I understand yeah. the risk that it might not work out. Yeah. Right, that's a part of understanding risk mm-hmm. and reward. That if I invest thousand, mm-hmm. five thousand, ten thousand, twenty thousand,
3: that, that
1: that could go to zero. Mm-hmm. But I'm willing to bet that because that twenty thousand could also turn into two million. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of understanding your risk and reward. And from what we talked about earlier, when you build up um, cash and you build up whole life insurance and you build up investments in ks you don't invest money you're not willing to lose anyway. Mm -hmm. So when you are well rounded and you have things in place, if you lose money, that won't make you homeless. That's fair? Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about, you said you do uh, building bankable businesses. Mm -hmm. Give us a little bit more information about that.
1: Yeah, thank you. So building bankable business is a seminar um, that I teach to entrepreneurs about how to access capital. And I've since partnered with the Black Business Association here in Memphis and I do this seminar for their, their uh, participants and clients and program people. And so it was birthed from a book that I wrote called The Small Business Guide to um, Capital Readiness. And the reason I wrote this is because as a banker, and as a host of the Grindset podcast, inter- interviewing entrepreneurs for the past five years, I understood that there's a gap between what the bankers expect and what entrepreneurs know and understand about business. So me, I was sitting around one day, listening to one of my friends who's an entrepreneur, and he was frustrated about accessing the banking system. And to me, that felt like a, a business idea. And so i said, okay, I just close the gap. And so I took everything I knew about banking. So the basics of it are the uh, five C's of credit, which is a uh, character, who you are as a person and your ability to repay your debt, meaning what's your credit score,
3: mm-hmm.
1: right? And the credit score is just an indication of who you have been in the past. And one of my favorite questions is, how do you improve your credit score? And it's just pay your debts, mm-hmm. pay what you owe people and your credit score will be fine so you have character you have capacity which is proving your ability to repay Uh, the cash that you bring into the table because you have have to have some skin in the game to fund your business collateral what is that money going to buy is it machinery is it uh, equipment Um, and then i said cash collateral um, character capacity and then conditions of the overall economy, conditions of the industry, and the conditions of what's going on locally in your business. So you teach about the five C's of credit and how to utilize those to your advantage for a bank. Uh, we teach about the banking system because most people just go to one bank and stop. Mm-hmm. Well, you got so many different options in the financial institution to be able to fund your business. And then educate just because you start at this small nonprofit with a $10,000 loan or a $100,000 loan or a million loan doesn't mean you have to stay with that organization. You can refinance. So I teach them where to go to get capital, not just at banks, non banks, nonprofits alike, and then how to matriculate through that system. Um, one of the primary mistakes I see a lot of entrepreneurs make is that they pay off debt too early if they have it at a bank. Well, cash is king. So imagine. You had a million dollar loan Mm -hmm. and you decided, hey, I got a million dollars cash. Let me pay this off early and then COVID hits. Mm. The cash is important. As long as you pay your loan as agreed, you're in good standing. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece of the building bankable business seminar is to teach you how to interact with financial. I mean, with uh, to teach you how to interact with professional advisors. Um, Accounting is the language of business. So it's critical to have a really good accountant. But how do you find those? What questions do you ask? How do you vet? And so we take people through a series of questions that anybody you're looking to hire as an accounting in your business, the things you need to ask to vet them. The same thing with an attorney. If you're a personal injury attorney, you have no idea how to do business um, contracts and business formation and to protect you in that way. So finding people that do what you need because accountants are not all created equally. Attorneys are not all created equally. And then as the last piece, I bring these professional advisors in. So we've brought in bankers. We've brought in non-banks, different types of non-bank lenders. We've brought in accountants. We've brought in uh, commercial insurance advisors. And we've uh, brought in uh, attorneys. So that the participants can ask these people questions directly. And it's been tremendous value We've done two seminars so far, and we've had tremendous value. Um, the entrepreneurs really rave about it. Okay. Yeah.
0: What's the next seminar?
1: The, the next seminar is uh, September 19th, mm-hmm. um, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. at the Epicenter Memphis. And the again, cost. And again uh, the cost is free. Okay. Um, the Black Business Association is doing a fantastic job of being the black um, chamber of commerce for entrepreneurs here so if you haven't joined or participated in any of the black business association in memphis programming i suggest you do because it's part of their next level uh, leadership series in which they they're not only supporting entrepreneurs using the building bankable business platform but they also support um, professionals um, in the corporate realm so hr training interview training how to ask for more money fund raises And they're they're supporting uh, entrepreneurs and corporate employees as well. So if you haven't checked out the Black Business Association, I urge you to do so. They are uh, paying for um, the Building Bankable Business Seminars. You also get a copy of my book, The Small Business Guide to uh, Capital Readiness, and they pay for three hours of coaching after the seminar. And it's all free to participants. that's awesome.
2: You have to sign up. You, do, you okay. do have
1: to sign up. There's a link on, on my Instagram, and there's also a link on the Black Business Association page. The ideal uh, participant in this class has at least 18 months of business. That's when you can get the most value out of it. That's when most financial institutions are willing to lend you money. As far
3: as your book, uh, for people who aren't
1: in Memphis, how can they access or buy your book? Sure. It, you can find my book on Amazon. Uh, the, you have to search out the whole name, The Small Business Guide to Capital Readiness, and you'll see uh, you'll have the ability to order a copy and you can download it on Kindle as well. We also make sure it's in mm-hmm. our details, yes. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So with all that said, where am I? Where am I? You, you clicking around. It's confusing. Oh, <laughs> I'm I like, know. wait, wait, what's happening? OK, where am I? So, keys to success. Give us a motto that you have used to build a successful business. So,
1: uh, a motto, you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like model.
2: Well, like motto, a motto that you
1: use. Sure, I think uh, a motto or philosophy that I've used to be successful in business is uh, self-mastery. You should put a lot of work into understanding yourself like a lot of work and understand yourself and how you interact with people, how you interact with the environment, even things from as small as I have a headache. Why? Mm-hmm. Instead of instantly um, taking medicine and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And so um, th- the first project that you should have should be yourself, mm-hmm. right? Discipline and uh, understanding how you want to interact with the world. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is in all things with confidence. Hmm. There's a lot of people who um, undervalue themselves and their contributions and their offerings, and I vowed I'll never be that person. If anything, I'm going to overvalue everything that mm-hmm. I do. And so uh, master Spoken self... So like a
0: Morehouse man.
1: <laughs> so, so self-mastery is critically important, and some people never achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondarily to that is, in all things, with confidence. You're one of one, your contributions are unique, and because you're one of one, you inherently have value in the world. That's a good one. I was
0: trying to see what was happening
1: over there. And then from a business perspective, um, if you're in business, understand your financials. Look at those things daily, weekly, monthly. Ask yourself questions about them. And as a cheat code to how you need to discuss Um, Your business and your numbers and what's happening are are that um, most companies, Fortune 500 and above, every three months, every quarter, um, they get on and they talk about what's happening in business. Mm -hmm. So you should find a company that's related to yours, that's really big, and listen to how they talk about the business, the company, what's coming up. And it's a cheat code to how you need to start thinking as a CEO.
3: Okay,
2: Okay. This is a grind sick question. Sure. What was your interest in doing a podcast? So how did you get into podcasts?
1: Yeah, so it, it's, a, uh, it's kind of a long story, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll shorten it up. So Larry Robinson, um, he's the founder and owner of Kazookian Podcast uh, Studio, um, Kazookian, Kazookian Studios. And so he had the bright idea to do podcast and make money from it. And he and I, uh, we went to a business seminar Um, from a speaker, I think her name is Melinda Anderson. She was promoting one of her books. He and I started talking about his business. And the thing that we're talking about is that, you know, as a CEO and as a founder, there's $15 an hour work that you can hire. And then there's work that's most valuable to your business. Sometimes it's sales, sometimes it's operations. So I just gave, I was business coaching before I was a business coach. Mm -hmm. He found that information valuable and said, if I ever do a business podcast, I want to bring you along. Um, so he, about six months later, he had an opportunity to, to do the Grindset podcast. And when he had that opportunity, he invited me as well as uh, Cynthia Daniels, who owns Cynthia Daniels & Company, um, to both co-host the podcast. Cynthia would serve as the voice of the entrepreneur, and I would serve as the financial expert and this year makes five years that we've been doing the, the Grindset podcast. And we focus on black female entrepreneurs because the black female entrepreneur segment is the fastest growing segment of entrepreneurs here in Memphis.
0: So, what is some advice that you would give to young podcasters? because you know it's it's such a new business frame, so like trying to navigate it can be a little difficult at times. So, what advice would you give after having five years' experience in this and sure. the business side experience as well?
1: Well, Covenger, uh, I'd had to steal advice on this. Mm. Um, so, there's a podcaster here in Memphis. His name's Dominique Lawson. And his podcast is the Startup Life podcast. And so I've been able to watch and appreciate his journey in that he was 200 episodes in before he monetized anything at all. Now I'm Mm -hmm. still in his story, but he decided to bet on himself and take his podcast to a radio format that he paid for the time and all these different Mm -hmm. things. And so the moral of the story is consistency. Uh, Do it for a year consistently, two years consistently, it's just a passion. Just do it, Mm
3: -hmm. and he's
1: monetized his after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, A person um, like Larry Robinson in the podcast business, he's found a formula to monetize his podcast um, before he even goes to market with it. A person like Ina Esco in her pod, uh, the Verbally Effective podcast, Mm -hmm. again, anybody you know that's in the podcast business is consistent. Right? It's, it's not a hobby, mm-hmm. it's what you do every single day. It's like eating, it's brushing your teeth. Pick a schedule, if you record weekly, do it weekly. If you do it twice a week, do it twice a week. If you do it every day, do it every day. But do that for a year if you wanna be successful.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, yeah, we're
2: doing that, we're consistent. <laughs> okay, um, the next question is, about your relationship with money so we're going back to off podcast but back to like finances and stuff like that so what's your relationship with money
1: so my my relationship with money is complicated (laughs) there there's a um there since i grew up in tremendous amount of poverty there's this sort of uh i never had it so things that i never had growing up i want Mm -hmm. and i balance that out with understanding money and financials understanding that i have to save understanding that I have to invest. And most days I'm on the side of doing things that I know I'm supposed to be doing. But some days I get off track and take that vacation I know I'm not supposed to take or eat at that restaurant I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to eat at. Mm-hmm. And so what I had to understand is that um, I had to create structures and systems that help me mitigate my own behavior even though I know what to do. And so I put my savings on on automatic savings. I started investment and surrounding myself with friends that also understand and talk about investing, that also talk about real estate. Because when I was with my friends that traveled all the time, I wanted to travel. When I'm with my friends that are entrepreneurs and talking about investing and talking about real estate, I want to invest, talk about real estate, and I want to become an entrepreneur. So uh, to mitigate some of my uh, childhood traumas around money, I use people and influence. I use systems, automatically deducting my savings to to my cash and to my investment accounts. So again, self-mastery and self-understanding, understanding understanding how I am with money, even though I've been a professional teaching other people um, what to do with money, I still need systems in place to make sure I'm doing the right thing.
0: Okay, and our last question. So if you're, you know, just talking to somebody, just walking down the street, not necessarily a businessman, not necessarily somebody that's looking to go into business, what is the, the one thing that's important for them to know? What is the moral of the story when it comes to finances?
1: The moral of the story when it comes to finances. Yeah,
0: because you said you were a financial planner at some point, even though you aren't right now. So I know a lot of people watching the podcast might not, you know, be looking to be an entrepreneur, looking to build a business, but they still, you know, need to take something away from from this interview. So what would you say to them?
1: The name of the game is income, Mm -hmm. right? And so you want to take the income that you make. If you're an employee, you take the income that you're making as an employee to invest in things that create income that you don't have to work in. Mm -hmm. So it could be a stock portfolio that can produce income because they pay dividends or bond portfolio that pays income or real estate that pays income or business that you invest in that pays income. So you want to use the income of today to create income tomorrow is the the number one lesson that I would tell somebody on the street is the goal is to create income. Saving is cool, Mm -hmm. investing is better.
2: I wouldn't be complete without asking one more question. It's a question that my father asked, so I was like, okay, make sure I make sure I say it before I forget. How do you feel about cryptocurrency, as a banker? Like real quick, like how do you feel about it? Because he's saying this is the, this you need to understand it that because that's where the money is going. That's where the next wave is going to be, Celine. You need to understand that stuff. I was like, okay.
1: Well, Celine, <laughs> I want you to be complete, so I answer your question about uh, <laughs> yes. cryptocurrency. Is that It's not in my risk tolerance.
3: Mm, Okay. Um,
1: Right now, if I have to take a dollar that I can walk down a store and spend without any problem, why would I then convert that dollar into something, one, that does not create income Mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier, and then two, uh, is not as easily traded as a stock, a bond, a mutual fund.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You tell me it's the investment of the future, but what can I do with it now? And so it doesn't fit into my risk tolerance. It doesn't mean that it's not a a great thing. Mm -hmm. It's just for me personally, it's not something I invested in. Now, I have invested it in the past. I've always thought it was personally stupid. Mm -hmm. But, and I thought the people who invested in it was stupid. And so (laughs) I was like, well, if everybody's stupid and I'm the smart one, let me go invest and and take (laughs) advantage. No, and and, (laughs) and go take advantage of all the stupid people.
3: (laughs) Turns out I was
1: also stupid because I lost a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but I think I think fundamentally, you know, people talk about cryptocurrency being the currency of, of the future. Mm-hmm. Well, the control and of access to money is critical, and important to governments. Why would they allow that control? I think crypto will um, exist at some form in a, the future, but it'll be or digital currency will be um, More relevant. Relevant in the future, but it'll be a government backed currency Mm -hmm. because governments aren't giving up control of the money to some people in the back room mining crypto. Gotcha. I don't think I'm familiar with FedNow.
2: That's what my dad was talking about, but I couldn't, I wouldn't cover so, it. Yeah. It's, but it's through it's, the, the, the government. Is, government. Yeah, but
1: it's on a blockchain, so it's definitely okay. a so Well, so uh, I think, so the Fed Now program, so the way the banking system works, if I send you a wire, if I send you some money today, it will take a bank 24 to 48 hours to sort of process mm. that delivery of... And in that 24 to 48 hours, that creates risk for banks and financial institutions. The bank, the Now program uh, makes it instantly because it's on the blockchain. So I think the blockchain is what uh, crypto and all these other things are based off of. So everybody, well, most people agree that the blockchain technology is acceptable and people love it. The question is, is the currency that's created on the blockchain, if that's what people love? But from a Fed now perspective, we already have a digital currency in most big cities. I know most people these days don't even carry cash. So we already have a digital currency in the first place. And you saw at Silicon Valley Bank when people try to take out all their money at once that the money's not even there. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So we're digital again. And so um, the thing that's completely the thing that's keeping us away from a digital uh, or cryptocurrency economy in the first place is the internet right if i go down to greenwood mississippi or some of these uh rural places they don't have access to the internet what do you do with cryptocurrency there Uh, if i go to um let's call it some less developed countries that still operate on the cash economy what do you do with cryptocurrency there Yeah. And so when you have a a lack of internet, a lack of technology, and things that are happening worldwide, we're still mostly in the cash-based system. But there's a a small and loud contingent of people that says crypto is the future. Well, crypto is based on the internet, and if you don't have access to the internet, you don't have have access to bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Mm. So that future might be 100 years away from now. Mm -hmm because we're still having trouble getting reliable access, reliable internet access in Memphis, let alone uh, rural places.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the internet, internet was is terrible. Every morning when I wake up, I'm like, why is this internet not going? What is yeah. happening? Yeah, so that makes plenty of sense yeah, to me. Great. Yeah,
1: So tell So tell mm-hmm. you. The heat affects the cable. Mm. Another day. Mm.
2: Another issue.
1: So I hope your dad' crypto portfolio does well. Oh, I
2: don't know if he's into it. He just, <laughs> a, he just, he just asks me all the questions. I just say, hey, I'll ask.
0: <laughs> the number one fan right, right there. He, is. he watches every fan. episode, so he's
3: going to see it. So.
0: <laughs> okay, well, that's all the questions that we have today. We'd sure. like to thank you for yes. coming out. Dropping these gems and you know just giving us a lot to think about yeah. and act on in mm-hmm. our financial lives. So yeah, clap for us. It. So this
3: is a wrap for this episode. How long was that I hope one? Y'all
2: enjoyed it. You can follow us on Instagram, which is Hood Health Report, as well as Facebook and Twitter, Hood Health Pod
0: um we also have a TikTok page now hood health report follow us there yeah don't forget to subscribe to the youtube channel all of the links will be in the descriptions and the bios for you to click on easily tap like comment do it all subscribe all of the things <laughs> share it with a friend yes share it on your social media if you have a tick tock make a little video send it <laughs> let us know you're out there watching guys all right that's it for this episode bye
3: is